Hi, you're listening to CS Book Club, and we're reading Understanding Computation. Uh, this week we're talking about Chapter 7, Universality is Everywhere. I'm Justin Campbell. With me is Amy Unger. Hey. Brian Cobb. Hello. And Ashton Harris. Hey. I felt like this chapter was the hardest for me to not only understand, but convince myself it was worth reading. I can agree with that statement. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like the author might even agree with us um, because he just, he skims over, like by the end of it, right? Like the, um, the game of life um, and the one dimensional game of life machine. He's just like, yep, and we're done. <laughs> uh, it's some of these things. I feel like I kind of got some interesting concepts from them, but I have no idea how to do any of this stuff in reality. So, I think this chapter was like a survey chapter, in a way. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're necessarily supposed to go super deep on any yeah. one thing. Like, maybe that's what I'm doing to justify the fact that I didn't go super deep <laughs> yeah. on any one thing. Yeah, it definitely felt like a skimming chapter. You know, it's kind of interesting to dig in in the first couple sections, but by the end of it, um, it felt like kind of greatest hits. Um, and not just the kind of greatest hits where you actually get to uh, listen to the whole song. It's kind of the infomercial where they give you, the, they give you like 30 seconds, and then they're like, you totally want to buy this album, right? The greatest hits of universality. Yep. <laughs> well, they're pretty great. I'm just not sure I understand them. Yeah, I found myself more interested in like the history behind things like, you know, Conway's Game of Life rather than, you know, the functionality of its implementation. Yeah, to me, yeah. the important thing was just that universality is a thing and you can find it in all these places. Um, but it wasn't so much the details that I thought were particularly striking. Yeah, I think that is definitely uh, a really good point. And it's definitely something that this chapter does a really good job of, of just pointing out how many different ways you can get to something that is Turing complete and, uh, and can implement anything, Um, which is a really interesting thing to think about, right? Like, just how many ways there are to implement a fundamentally really simple thing. And then because you can do that, you can express anything in any of those things. It's just a matter of how pathological you want to be. So do we want to jump in and start talking about each of these, or at least uh, some of the ones where we kind of digged in a little deeper? The Lambda Calculus implementation of the Turing machine was kind of interesting. Um, a lot more of the same kinds of things that we saw last time in terms of the coder writing, but just fun to see you can do it. Yeah, that was, for me, like pretty straightforward to get, I think, because we just came off of planned calculus in the previous chapter. So it was, I guess it was still fresh in my mind. But it was kind of neat how to, how to simulate it. And then the partial... Recursive functions and the fully recursive ones? Or, wait, did I not review this well enough? I thought there was a reference to, like, and then we make these things infinitely recursive. And that's why where we start is partial. Um, or maybe maybe I 
Do you mean uh, to get a truly universal system out of a out of partially recursive functions? Yes. Yeah. So they talk about there's like four fundamental building blocks that we use to implement this. Like zero increment and recurse are like the first three they call primitive. And then the fourth one minimizes what gets you to a truly universal system. You can't really do it with just the first three, um, which I'd have to go back and look at the more details to fully understand how minimize gives you that extra functionality. I guess it's just to, you know, minimize the functions down to something that, uh, eventually is null, if I understand it correctly. Um, but I, I guess it's so that the machine just doesn't loop forever and ever and ever. I had highlighted um, the divide by zero part because kind of like seeing that um, stepping through the the steps and how to get to that made it kind of obvious to me why divide by zero not only is like impossible in, in math but like why a computer can't handle it. The uh, SKI combinator calculus is the next one, and that took me a while to uh, to understand what like I was reading it and understanding like how it was working, but. It took me a while to like think about it to, I guess, kind of get the power behind it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I found this one really interesting to think about because it's not something I would look at and think, gosh, that's a useful language. <laughs> yeah. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome that you can ultimately implement a very uh, complex machine in it. Um but it's not, I feel like I had an easier time with the lambda calculus and understanding, hey, why, there's a reason why we're doing this. Right. Um, this one, I, you know, I, I see that it's useful as a proof of concept. Um, but I, I think this is one of the ones that I'm probably, you know, not going to remember in five years. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like this one. I mean, I guess all of them are just basically proof that they're universal by being able to, um, you know, uh, create an interpreter, in this case, I guess, a denotational semantics of another implementation that we know is already universal. So it's kind of just like proof without any real maybe reason, I guess, in my opinion. It makes the math part of my brain very happy. But it makes the programmer part of my brain very confused. <laughs> and ditto for IOTA, which is like sort of a variation on ski, where it's like, you know, if you do this additional transformation, you can also be universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, I definitely got the like, the feeling of, all right, this really is just like, super crazy and super fun right like the uh the idea that it's a puzzle like i think this this was kind of where i in the chapter i got to the point where i'm like okay this is just like kind of random and fun and we're gonna just like hit a whole bunch of stuff and it's gonna be awesome i don't know i looking at the uh you know the ultimate implementation of this, I just got the feeling of, uh, you know, with all the, the eyes going across and, and the feeling that it's uh, ultimately something that's very powerful uh, made me think of kind of just someone just poking you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, my the rhythm of my pokes is a universal system, so <laughs> you should be happy. 
Yeah, just a bunch of iotas inside of square brackets inside of square brackets. It's like, if something could be more confusing than binary. Yeah, I don't know if you guys uh, read the Artemis Fowl books, but they came out right around the time that I was uh, perfectly happy to sit down and try to decode the uh, language at the bottom, the characters, and try try to figure out what it was. Uh, That definitely reminded me, or this reminded me of that, uh, just, you know, the simple translation system, but uh, it is fun to do. So I haven't read those novels, Amy, but the tag system seems also in that vein of kind of taking what appears to be jumbled letters and turning it into code. Yeah, uh, it was definitely an interesting example um, to use because I felt like we were kind of back to where we started with trying to uh, determine valid strings and such. Um, But I think it illustrated the point uh, pretty well, uh, you know, of how, how, uh, you know, you can turn around the concept of having a pointer to somewhere inside, uh, memory to just manipulating memory around the pointer, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about if, uh, you know, you just, if you had to do that for, uh, you know, your C code or something, that's just kind of mind-boggling to think about. That you're, yeah, I don't know. It was super fun to to, to try to do that mental shift. Yeah, all these constraints are what make these problems interesting. Um, I mean, they seem arbitrary here, but yeah, maybe there maybe there are circumstances where that's just reality, and you have to figure out how to build a universal machine on top of those constraints. So yeah, so then we get into cyclic tag systems. So that takes it, tag systems one step farther to just having two characters, zero and one. Not mm-hmm. not binary, but just zero and one as strings. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it end up pretty much working like binary insofar as we encode the alphabet in zeros and ones? That's the impression I got, yes. Yeah. But I guess it's a fair point. It, you know, binary, we have this uh, sense of a set numerical representation, and then uh, char- we tend to uh, assume characters will be represented in a certain way, and here it's completely arbitrary. Uh, however you want to do it, it works. I guess it was the point of the chapter, but I had a difficult time going from the tag systems to actual computation in my mind. It was hard to imagine these things becoming, uh, I guess, logic. But like you said, I guess it's just binary. Like that is the lowest. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. Like I think the maybe if we spent longer with each of these examples, we'd understand it better. But I also think that these the tag systems, you know, as we get farther and farther into the the chapter, it's harder to find an example that uh, is easy to connect with. Um, you know, I think with the Lambda calculus, we all uh, have some sort of exposure to uh, taking in one input and doing, uh, putting out another output, and many of us have exposure to FizzBuzz. So that, you know, immediately looks like computation. These ones, the tag systems, um, 
you know, I think I was kind of at the point in reading this where I was just like, yeah, okay, I, I trust that that yeah. will do something useful <laughs> if I spent enough time with it. Right. Yeah. I've, I've always learned best by relating things to real life situations where I could use it. But a lot of these concepts seemed uh, so abstract to me that it was hard to, you know, get a grasp on, um, you know, but I was saying like, it was hard to get a grasp on its real life implementation over, um, you know, just it is because it's universal and it is. Right. Comedy's Game of Life is really interesting. Yeah, that... I, yeah, I've I've written the game of life before, or like I guess a a simulator for the game of life, but I had no idea that you could, you know, implement computation with with the game itself. Yeah, that was very interesting to me because uh, actually, with you, Justin, was the first time I ever implemented the game of life at that one dev talk, and uh, it was it was very interesting. But I never thought about taking it that step further. And how he talks about using the stream of gliders to represent binary data and like have logical and or not operators off of you know this game was was very interesting that he went through those steps to actually do that. I like the quote that says, for here on, it's just an engineering problem to construct an arbitrarily large, finite, and very slow computer. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I love how later on, I don't know if it's about that particular, in response to that particular quote, but then some uh, poor grad student actually does it many years later. Let's see. Um, yeah, the poor grad student, and I'm sure now is not uh poor but um oh Paul maybe that man yeah i'm struggling to find the uh the reference to it even though it's only a few pages that we're looking at here yeah i only have the kindle location i wasn't familiar with rule 110 it seems like a like a 1d game of life yeah, that was really fun to see. And uh, the drawings reminded me of Tetris. <laughs> so the the drawings, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I made a note of. Um, did you understand how the uh, you know diagrams and the concept of 110 translated to those abstract designs? Well, I think like on yeah. in in Kindle location one one zero seven six. Meaning the big massive triangle on the page. Well, right, right before that, like okay. the chapter rule one ten, uh, it shows the rules, and then immediately after that, it shows a progression of uh, nine steps. And you can see yeah. how the first step has a single dot, and the last step is almost completely filled in. Mm -hmm. I think those are the first nine lines of the next page, which is a giant triangle. Yeah, they're truncations. So on the giant triangle, that's, you know, like the, uh, actually, well, okay, so if it's triangle, then it's the, it's 500, it's likely 500 squares wide. So imagine if the illustrations above, uh, with the first nine lines, um, had, uh, 500 white cells or 500 total cells. Okay. Um, now stack them. 
and you ran it 500 times. I'm I'm seeing it now. So they're they're actually like the live states spreading out over 500 steps. Yeah, ah, yeah. Okay. And and the cool thing about those nine steps, if you look at step six, seven, and eight, you'll actually see an upside down triangle, white triangle mm-hmm. encased in the middle, and then everything else makes a triangle itself. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And then the next. Sorry. Sorry go I, ahead. I was going to say that the giant triangle, the 500 by 501, is interesting how it seems stable until like a few hundred lines in and all of a sudden it has like some anomaly that's just on one part of the triangle. It's interesting visually that it kind of like has that shape. I guess, I guess it is repeating, but it's just only repeating once in that entire set. There is some uniformity. So it's kind of distracting that there's a, a lot of imperfection. Yeah. These like Mm -hmm. diagonal bars that seem to, if you start from the bottom, it's like diagonal bar, diagonal bar, diagonal bar, and then all of a sudden it gets like broken up by some triangles. Yeah. Yeah, it it's really interesting visually. I mean, from the um, from the steps when they introduce roll one ten, uh, you know, I see how it's capable of happening. But the sudden appearance um, of just a massive amount of white. Um, it's really interesting uh, to see um, because, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very much a pattern-seeking individual, and you're right. I see the stability in the first fifty lines, and then there's this, you know, patch of white out of nowhere. Um, and rationally, I can uh, think, oh, that's just normal. But you know, the uh, less a logical part of me still still looks at that image, uh, that illustration, and is like, but that's an anomaly. <laughs> so someone has to take the challenge of reproducing this with 5,000 steps and see what patterns we come up with. <laughs> yeah. I love the coolest thing was at the end of this section where, of course, the whole point of the chapter is that you can take this and um, simulate a, what was it? Oh, it simulates a, a cyclic tag system. And then it goes on to mention that you could use that to simulate a conventional tag system, which is simulating a Turing machine, which is eventually. <laughs> and it has to point out that that is a not an efficient way to achieve universal computation. If you have tons of free time, <laughs> let me show you how to build a computer. <laughs> a really slow computer. And then Wolfram's Turing machine was kind of neat. Looking at it from like a uh, like a automaton perspective, I guess this is a DFA. Um, it's just crazy how how simple it is, but it's also universally computable. Mm-hmm. See, I like this chapter in that it kind of like expanded my mind. Like like we said earlier, we didn't go too deep into any of these, but it was really interesting to see how many different ways you can simulate computation. This kind of makes me want to look into the uh, NAND to Tetris stuff. Has anybody ever looked at that? I haven't. What's that? Um, I know there's like a conference, but I think there's also some like reading material, maybe like groups, where essentially you write uh, a Tetris game, but you start from essentially nothing, um, like, a, like a NAND gate, which is a not AND electrical gate. Um, I guess you start from there and then move up to each part of the computation stack until you can actually write a game and 
and I guess play it. Yeah, it sounds super cool. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I know uh, a couple of people who've done it, and they really like it. Any other thoughts in the chapter? I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can listen to uh, other chapters from here at csbookclub.com slash understanding-computation. And next week we'll be reading Chapter 8, Impossible Programs. Uh, see you next time. Bye. See ya. Later.